Ringo drops social and realistic content for heroic bloodshed, his particular violent way. But he's not resorting to a melodramatic time with brotherhood and revenge. Uh, nope, this is a battleground for bad characters wanting to hurt and have sex with each other. My name is Kenny B, with me is Tom KW, and this is the Director Series 23 on Ringo Lamb's Full Contact. Guess what song's gonna be playing next, kids? <laughs> Welcome back, and we have reached uh, well, episode 23 of the director's series, but we've reached a uh, portion of Ringo Lamb's uh, filmography where full contact resides, and a switch is uh, very apparent. Uh, there's no uh, anger anymore, there's no social commentary anymore, there's violence, but there's something else going on here, uh, something uh, rock and roll and punk uh, for for Ringo, anyway. Um, I'm Kennedy, and with me is Tom KW this week again. Uh, Hello, I know I'm going to say, man, you fit me in twice this week. So let's get into it, but first of all, some uh, contact information, some full contact information, if you will, and this is the director series on uh, the Podcast on Fire network, and this show on directors is available on podcastonfire.com, along with shows on Hong Kong cinema, new and old, Korean cinema is the topic of our Japan on Fire show, we have shows on Korean cinema, we do audio commentaries every now and again, we have talk ninjas, we talk sleaze, we talk stuff on bonus episodes as well, so uh, welcome in, and uh, if you're a first time listener, thank you very much, hope you like the show. And if you like Ringo Lamb, let us know what your favorite Ringo Lamb movie is. Uh, for instance, on email, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. You can also do so over on social media. Click the handy button at the top of our website to reach Facebook. That will lead you to our page. Leave a like and support, but also join the discussion group called Podcast on Fire Network to follow along with uh, the various discussions, show updates, and what have you. Click the handy button to our Twitter. That will lead you to our Twitter account and our feed. Click the iTunes button to subscribe to us and uh, leave a star rating if you're there. And uh, even a written comment if you feel you have something to say. We would very much like to hear from you and finally click the stage radio button to stream us on the web or via applications available on the apple app store or google play from stitcher well done mate well done i always feel like people might like interpret it interpret when you're saying all that stuff i'm just not listening but i'm actually nodding my head to everything ken says because i agree i agree with it 1000 percent okay I was about to say that the Stitcher app is probably free, but now Stitcher has something called Stitcher Premium, but I still think you can stream us for free, right? Stitcher Premium is just, I think it might have to do with more, uh, you can subscribe to shows that are more produced maybe, and there's exclusive content, but we're talking something that's way, way, way up there and not at all on our little lowly level here. So for oh, all... The, yeah, the... You can't talk us down like that, man. We're at least kind of gutter level i'd say we're not like under, not underground when i was going to say sewer but definitely gutter like just the gutter just going onto the pavement but around there i'd say well on the flip side we're good but we'll remain free you know that's 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 good that's how i like to keep them that's how i like to keep my life definitely 
free as a bird, baby. Yeah, I guess that will work with all the life so responsibilities. Like everything's free, I'm free, and everything's free. Rent is free. Or free agent. Food baby. is free. Free agent. Coke is free. Everything in the off license is free. free. Being in jail is free. It's gonna be an interesting weekend after that comment, Kenny. Yeah. Yes, he's uh, he's high on crack or something. Everything's free. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate uh, what is free is also Tom's review archive over at vcinemashow.com that's a premium that's a premium <laughs> uh, it is it is there yeah check it out that was when I was somewhat interested in new Hong Kong cinema now I'm not so there's no there's, there's no further reviews there's no further new Hong Kong movies being reviewed there unfortunately uh, but you you can review an old movie if you like. Or... Yeah, I can, man. I can. I, I tried to kind of see what's out there in terms of you know stuff maybe a lot of people aren't talking about or you know something that's kind of under the rock somewhere and you know needs kind of bringing to surface and shedding a bit of light on. But hence the Avenging Fist. Hence the Avenging Fist. <laughs> I think people were talking about that enough, and it's a classic. Uh, and I'm I'm waiting for that. We're still waiting for that Criterion 20th anniversary <laughs> Blu-ray, which is actually sponsored by Podcast on Fire, and we're getting a cut. I mean, we, we you know we got to keep the fire on somehow, ain't we? Can I suppose so. I don't know. I don't know about these things, but uh... I basically look after all of the business side of the podcast on Fire Network. Ken doesn't let people know this because he thinks, you know, my, my kind of image: young, wild, happy-go-lucky, cheeky boy. But really, I got a business mind, and we're getting into the Blu-ray game. And Diary of a Big Man is our next. Oh, I'd buy that and I'd buy that in a heartbeat. So our next laser disc release. We're bringing back laser discs as well. So that's the first podcast on Fire laser disc release. I, I, I want the review quote on the Diary of a Blue Man. Uh, blue Man. But <laughs> <laughs> that's an extra, but that's an extra on the Blue Man Group uh, live DVD. That's 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 an extra you just referred to. That's also as good as uh, as what we're speaking about. I still want uh, the review quote to be from me on that Blu-ray. Very nice. Oh, I see what you did there, and I, and I enjoy it. I enjoy it thoroughly. And any rate, let's uh, get into it. Get on with the show, you. Come on. Side well, we need a rundown first to let the kind people know what's uh, to come here. And uh, as per the other episodes in the series, and in order to cover as much ground as possible in a series like this, uh, there will be quick take reviews uh, for for all the episodes, including in this one. And we'll uh, talk briefly of uh, uh, movies such as uh, these are the following two chosen, The Twin Dragons, the charity movie starring everyone, and 1995's The Adventurers, not to be confused with the recently review, uh, released movie of the same name that uh, Stephen Fong directed, and reportedly it's more of a remake of John Woo's Once a Thief. But but it's not an untouchable title, obviously, The Adventurers. So, you know. uh, we then talk after those quick takes a legendary actor Simon Yam for a bit, and then conclude the show with our review of Full Contact. And I guess after the show, we'll masturbate in hell. What? Well, I've got plans, but um, that sounds pretty good as well. In joke, if you've seen the movie. So, uh, let's get into the quick takes, and let me take reins uh, first for Twin Dragons from 1992. And this is a co-directed adventure between uh, Ringo Lam and Choi Hak, and as I said, starring everyone. Why did it star everyone? Well, it was made as a benefit film to help fund the Hong Kong Directors Guild. Uh, and Jackie Chan plays twins separated at birth that goes on to live very different lives. One becomes a famous orchestra conductor and pianist. One becomes a street racer and he gets in trouble with triads. And uh, their lives merge, obviously. Mismatched identities type of comedy ensue. 
their stunts, fights, and a cameo parade for the ages follow. I mean, the only persons that I didn't spot of likes like of Chiang Fat and Steven Chow, I suppose, but pretty mm. much everyone was in it. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking directors working at that time, I mean, you know, in commercial cinema, it's kind of everyone, mm-hmm. to be honest. I, I have a feeling that uh, John Woo might have been busy blowing up Chiang Fat, uh, making hard-boiled at that time. We have no time. We're blowing up the hospital. <laughs> we can't come. But, but John Woo's in it, though, isn't he, at the end? Uh, he might have been, yeah. So <laughs> He's, the, uh, he's the, the priest at the end. Uh, yeah, that might have been it. Again, there, there's so many people here. Anyway, uh, reportedly co-director Ringo Lam handled more of the action scenes than the story scenes, yeah. uh, and his style is pretty evident in certain sequences. Uh, we have a sequence with Kirk Wong's uh, trial boss being set free, and the street chaos uh, that ensues evokes those gritty thrills that Ringo had put on screen before, so it's totally Ringo. But more importantly, the actors and filmmakers who made this realize there's a purpose here beyond entertainment. You know, they want to fund something, but that seemed to act as fuel for entertainment, uh, for real entertainment that will play with an audience, because the Twin Dragons, to me, is a fine action comedy from start to finish. I have so much fun watching this movie. And uh, it's it's just lighthearted in the best way for me, uh, best of ways. So while not a thorough classic, it's a good, good fun. It also features a plethora of action directors, and that is beneficial for the movie, because we get a lovely mix of creativity involving, of course, uh, the Jackie Chan stamp on it all, uh, props and... Uh, and uh, within the settings, and Jackie can bring that. But there's also martial arts here, uh, clearly visualized by other sections of the team, not just Jackie, because Jun Wo Ping worked on this movie, Stephen Tong, Choi Suming, and it's like a treat for me to see Jackie and his team perform and execute that versatility uh, in the various fights and working under the different action directors. But the stunts here, there's some hairy stunts during the boat chase, so again, they put in put in effort, and uh, and the finale at the vehicle testing center is, uh, has some hairy stunts as well, so it, it is energetic, it has a silly tone, Jackie plays both a womanizer and a gentleman, so I guess that balances things. <laughs> <You know. laughs> Ticking both boxes there. Yeah, and the cameos that surround him are, are actually squeezed in very well, uh, and, and there, there is a storytelling thread here that never really stalls the film, and the audience has responded because the film was a hit and uh, I think the filmmakers and actors deserved the funds they were aiming for in my opinion I had fun with it did you have fun with it? Uh, yes I did have fun with it Kenneth um, it's hard it's hard not to have a good time with it is it man I mean you know it's it's it's, it's episodic it's a lot sillier than a normal Ringo Lam film and that, that's probably got a lot to do with uh, Choi being on board too and in all, in all honesty if you told me this is directed by Wong Jing I'd, I'd believe you I mean, it's not, as sle- it's not as sleazy as that, but it's close. I mean, if you said that to me and I didn't know any better, I'd be like, yes, it's a Wong Jin film. I mean, it's, it's, that, it's that kind of vibe. But, you know, as, as you said, it's got some fantastic actions and great cameos, Nina Lichi being gorgeous as always, and obviously uh, a unique selling point with having uh, two Jackies. So it's a pick and mix. Like, it's a, it's a mishmash of, of kind of, you know, little vignettes and different scenes and, uh, and the cameos kind of take up a lot of the... I wouldn't say the bulk of the film, but they're quite prominent and it kind of just jumps from scene to scene. And as I say, with so many action directors as well, the action's kind of all over the place, but in a good way. Like there's this, you know, the car stuff and, and the martial arts stuff and the stunt stuff. And That really stood out to me, this viewing, that I think I'm picking out like each action director's different yeah, style yeah. here, which is cool. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's, that's kind of what, how, how I felt with it as well. You can kind of get a... Because Jackie, uh, uh, Jackie, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Jackie doing martial arts at this time was kind of exciting because he'd be doing his 
action. His style, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. His style. So yeah, you obviously there's there's some stuff that's here that, that's his, and and you can tell some stuff that's Yuma Pings, and I say the Tony the, the, the Tony Lung stuff, um, the kind of more kind of grittier stuff, and uh, you know, staying with Steven Tongue, and yeah, you you can tell there's there's different styles and there's different vibes to the action. And I think the ending sequence is one of his most inspired you know action scenes in terms of uh, let's do this here you know in terms of the actual thought process but i think it's 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 got a good realism to it like it, it generates good ideas and and grounded kind of um exciting ideas and and it's kind of play for laughs but it's really it, it generates really good kind of uh, as you say kind of rugged kind of hairy uh stunts um rugged and hairy that's a good description of of me also as an aside, which you all needed to as, know. As an aside, everyone needs to know that on the podcast. You know, sometimes we forget we're recording these. Um, <laughs> if I cut that out, I'll uh, send it to Jay because he needs to. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, because you know, compare this to something like Operation Condor, in my opinion, which has got a good ending in terms of it's got a lot of ideas, but it doesn't really know what to quite do with the big idea whereas this one's got a big idea and it knows exactly how to use all the different nooks and crannies within the setting and, and the mechanics of the scene um just go together a bit better so i think it's high concept but the action's like there it's it's solid let me ask you did you spot the cameo by ringo lamb i did i did spot ringo and choyu at the end playing cards aren't they yes they are along with um is it ngcun I think so. I, I had to look it up because I, I couldn't. I, I wanted to recognize those three or four people, and apparently one is, I think, Umsiyun, the seasonal uh, producer and filmmaker from back in the day. Yeah, I always say I always say Ung, but I've been told that it's that's incorrect. It's Um rather than Ung, which I normally say, like a typical silly English bastard. Um, yeah, they were the end play, which is a, which is one of the best scenes in terms of comedy. I think with those three together, Choi's just like. I mean, some people forget how good of a comedic actor Choi is, and I think he he better, you know, he, he highlights it here and in stuff like um, Yes, Madame, and uh, you know, some of the other stuff in the eighties, like not stuff that he was directing. Like he'd, he'd appear kind of here and there in them, and even stuff he did direct because obviously Aces Go Places three, he's got a similar role. So I think it's um, if I'm being honest, I think it's Aces Go Places two is the one he plays the uh, mental patient that thinks he's. Um, Interpol and the Avengers in one. And I'm not sure he actually had much of a role in Ace's Got Places Free that he directed himself. Kenny, you might, yeah, you, you might be right there, mate. Yeah, you're ringing a bell there. I'm just, obviously, I'm, I'm kind of correlating them because obviously he directed the third one. But I have been wrong in the past. And about I have, lots have of been things. as well. <laughs> anyway, sh- shall we move on to the adventurers? Um, shall we now? Yeah, let's let's do it. Far away. I don't have as much to say. It's uh, Ringo's uh, 1995 action picture starring Andy Lau and Wu Qianlian. And that's about it in terms of uh, plot, I suppose. Uh, uh, while not shoddily executed, it doesn't feel like the key people wants to be here doing this movie. In this is my opinion, listeners, not uh, you know, me dictating anything here. It's it's designed as swift and easily digested revenge and undercover action with the emotional conflicts surrounding it since... You know, Andy Lau gets close to the daughter of the man he wants revenge on. And, and you can predict a lot that is coming. There's nothing wrong with that structure. 
in, in intent. Um, its brutal tone is welcome, but it doesn't make the world depicted uh, pitch black in this gut-punching way. Um, and even when Ringo punishes main characters in this movie, it doesn't seem to click for me. Uh, for, for once, we're not that engaged in his characters, although Andy Lau and Wu Qian Lian's scenes are expectedly good because they always were good together, starting from A Moment of Romance and the various movies they did together. Only the finale pyrotechnics uh, gives us that shallow, big film that uh, that is enjoyable. Uh, that got me going a little bit. But, you know, it's by no means badly done. But also, to me, it was uninspired and forgettable. And I also heard that Ringo and Andy didn't get along every day, all hours of the day, working on this movie. But, you know, and, and, and I think Ringo said that publicly as well, that he was dissatisfied about something, you know. But uh, it, it's not a movie I... Um, I tend to return to because uh, it just uh, kind of goes in one ear and out the other for me. I think uh, I personally think it's, it's kind of underrated. I definitely think it's mistitled for sure. I don't know where they got that title from or what it has to do with the rest of the film because I was expecting, you know, kind of an adventure film, a kind of globe trotting adventure film, and it does go from location to location. But for the most part of the film, it's like this undercover kind of triad film pretty which is pretty cool so it was unexpected for me um and i think it's actually got you know uh, an involving you know very involving andy performance um as usual and it's actually really well written in terms of dialogue and, and interaction in spots which which was a nice surprise not something you always get but it definitely kept me kind of going the interactions and the dialogue and it was uh, it was definitely interesting uh it's nice to see uh pop man wong show at one point as well so that's 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 always a, a good a good laugh um to see i mean it, it, you can tell like you're kind of the, the film's a bit boring if actors are popping up is kind of making you excited <laughs> you know rather than you've been fully save save the movie please park man i thought Parkman was gonna be knocking about a bit more but no he kind of comes and goes um in a scene really that I feel kind of along with the rest of the back end of the film, it just kind of adds on stuff that's unnecessary. It kind of has got this one story point going on and there's a lot of this melodrama towards the back end that's kind of unrelated and just kind of heaps it on really, to be honest. And it probably would have been a bit tighter at 90 minutes, but I think it was, yeah, it was, it was a nice surprise for the most part for about 75% of it. It kept me engaged. Um, it just lost me a bit towards the back end. I could, Maybe seeing it a bit being a bit of a grower. Uh, I don't know. It was my first time watching it this time, so mm. um, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, if definitely if you're a Andy completist, it's um, it's worth kind of fishing out and uh, checking out. Yeah, assured enough in his uh, movie star presence and charisma yeah. by by '95 for sure, and it, okay. it would only get better. And it's still it's still getting better. <laughs> anyway, full contact from 1992. This is a section covering it and plot from the uh, and it's extracted from the Far East Films review of the film. Jeff, played by Chai Fat, is a nightclub bouncer who is hard up for cash. When his friend Sam, played by Anthony Wong, informs him that his cousin is going to be responsible for an arms raid, he decides that this would be a quick way to make money. Judge, played by Simon Yam, is the rather feminine leader of the gang and he immediately takes a shine to Jeff. However, money must always come first and Judge betrays Jeff, leaving him for dead on the roadside. And I think they're in Thailand at this point. Anyway, unsurprisingly, Jeff is a little bit peeved about this and decides to reap his bloody revenge on those responsible for the double cross. So, Simon Yam I mentioned as the... uh, 
feminine, uh, the rather feminine leader, and uh, this is one of many roles. And without looking at the bio, uh, a rough estimate: how many films do you think Simon Yam has uh, on his uh, Hong Kong movie database bio? Just a rough estimate. His entire bio? Are you saying like this year, or are you talking his entire filmography? Just uh, well, well, this year it's probably fifty, but uh, no, a little, uh, a little rough uh, estimate. Uh, how, how many hundred of movies do you think Simon Yam has appeared in? So hundred. So you give me a bit of a bit of a clue there by saying a hundred. So it's not ninety nine. It's nope. definitely over hundred. I'm oh, saying, yes. okay, Homeboy's been in the game for what, like thirty years now? Ninety ten. 2000, 2002, well, no, 40 years nearly? Started in the 70s. Yeah, 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 late 70s. Um, I'd say like 200, 200 and a, and a bit, 200, 225. Yeah, it, it's, it's, all, it's probably going to reach 225 so far, uh, soon. Uh, uh, they, the count on HKMDB is 215 films and counting. <laughs> Get out of And here. that is excluding some international work, because I think he did a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Um, he played a villain in that, and he's been in Tomb Raider and things like that. And I think those are not on. Yeah, it's a bit of a ball. Like, because sometimes with IMDb, it lists, uh, it doesn't list some Hong Kong films, and on not HKMDb, it doesn't list like American films or international films. So it, you kind of have to put them together and see what you got, which is a bit of a ball. But hey, oh, yeah, so Mao's alright, not too far from that. And he is indeed one of the busiest and most talented Hong Kong actors out there for several decades now. Whether playing villains, action heroes, romantic leads, uh, the versatility has certainly meant a wide fandom uh, uh, out there in the world and, and respect for the working ethic at hand here. Because if you do this much, you are a working actor that needs to work and needs to feed yourself. And that also means you're going to be inspired in some movies. And not so inspired in other movies because in in Hong Kong cinema in the heyday, it was work. Even Anthony Wong, one of the biggest actors out there, said that tons of movies he did was in order to feed his family. And I think that's a reality and a half out there for even for big stars like Anthony and Simon. Anyway, Simon was born in 1955, and he is the son of a police chief, and his brother is a retired deputy commissioner of Hong Kong police. He grew up poor, but Yam earned by doing modeling work for print ads and working in sales. But after high school, Simon got enrolled in the acting course at TVB, as did Ringo Lam. And in fact, Ringo Lam actually enrolled in the acting course initially, but um, turned to filmmaking uh, eventually. But uh, Simon, he uh, got uh, through the acting program. He started to appear regularly in dramas and sitcoms, martial arts period pieces, including some of TVB's most famous series, such as Police Cadet 2, Legend of the Condor Heroes, The Smiling Proud Wanderer, etc. And it all made Simon a household name in the 70s. Although he wasn't able to flex his acting muscles everywhere he wanted because TVB's contract was very restrictive in terms of working elsewhere. But uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, d- despite that, he stayed on TVB until 1989. Uh, uh, really, he worked so much in the 80s. So, so I wonder if they were so restrictive, TVB, or they had a good understanding in terms of uh, what movies Simon did and in connection to who. I suppose it was an image thing, yeah. I suppose maybe, I wouldn't say he was tied down, but yeah, maybe it was kind of like, should you appear in this and should you appear in that? You know, in terms of like them... I wouldn't say them picking roles, but it might be that... I don't know. I mean, I suppose Chowing Fat was a bit the same, wasn't he? I suppose it has to play in a bit to his kind of TV image. You know, it's kind of... 
hot little cutie <laughs> kind of you know dreamboat kind of teen dreamboat image possibly i don't know i wasn't there it's certainly interesting <laughs> if if it said that they were very, very strict it certainly doesn't appear that way in simon yam's filmography in the 80s because there was movie work right but the 90s uh, changed everything uh, as we said he was uh, uh, with tv until 1989 and uh, with the 90s uh, opening up uh, simon ended up at an average of one film per month released uh, starring him or with an appearance from him he started as early as 1975 in terms of movie appearances and one of the first major roles was in this 1980s erotic drama house of the loot uh, which I've seen, it's a decent enough and punishing Hong Kong New Wave uh, picture with uh, erotic elements, but it's not cheap as such. Um, so, it, fairly accomplished. Um, those are various credits, and this is true for Chai Fat as well, of course. That did not replicate the TV success necessarily um, out of the gate, but he, he went places, man. He went to America, yeah. for instance, to shoot Philip Chan's uh, movie Tongs, a Chinatown story which is based on real-life turf wars in New York, and that saw Simon Yam acting in English, and he was even employed a, a year or two later on the Japanese Hong Kong co-production Blood Fight, again, performing in English. Uh, but even though, uh, you know, the critical and awards recognition would come later, quite much later, um, Simon developed uh, quite a working habit and could do any role, really, ranging from, ranging from the bad guy in Yumo Ping's modern actioner Tiger Cage, He's a charismatic Eurasian hitman in John Woo's Bullet in the Head, and boy, is he good in that movie. My first Simon Yam movie, my first John Woo movie, my first Hong Kong movie. So it a, holds a special place in my heart. Uh, he was, as we said, a flamboyant and dangerous villain in full contact, and he played the real-life taxi killer Lam Go Wan in the seminal Category 3 movie Dr. Lam. He actually had done mm. that on TV as well in one of those uh, reconstructions for TV, uh, but uh, not nearly as graphic as Dr. Lam was. And 1992 would really be a, you know, a nice kickstart. Uh, <laughs> I wrote like a nice kickstart to jams out there. We're talking pop, uh, pop song, uh, uh, pop song connection here. Uh, I don't know who wrote kickstart for jams, but uh, there it is. Kick, kick out the jams. Kick out the jams. M- you're right. MC5. MC5. Yeah, That's kick right. Out jams. Thanks. Uh, anyway, uh, that uh, in 1992 and really the night is that that was a nice kickstart to. Simon's villainous over-the-top roles that he would be associated with as well. There was this enjoyable fact that there, were, that there was no filter to those uh, mostly good and entertaining psycho performances. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff out there where he just goes for it, and it's uh, wonderfully watchable. And his uh, status as sex symbol either was elevated or happened through working in Category 3 movies such as Gigolo and Whore, did about four or five films of Gigolo in the title, I think, which is Gigolo and Whore One and Two, <laughs> <laughs> Hong Kong Gigolo. <laughs> the man wasn't afraid to take risks. Tom, uh, his uh, th- th- this was an acting career, a commercial acting career, and then he took took risks by pay- appearing in adults only movies so with soft core yeah, pornographic yeah. elements, and he had sex scenes in movies like Don't Stop My Crazy Love for You, and uh, and even his appearance. Apparently, I don't remember this. It's a big movie in the charity movie The Banquet. Made, made a comedic yeah, uh, nod yeah, towards yeah, yeah. his uh, gigolo persona in movies. Again, there's so many cameos in that movie, I could not keep up with it very well. I just know that everybody's in it, except Jackie Chan and Chai Fat. Yeah, it's another cameo crazy film. Yeah, definitely. I remember him showing up like that image, that kind of gigolo image, which he was kind of rocking at that time in the early 90s. But yeah, as you say, he'd do that kind of stuff. And then just dark shit, you know, as well, like run and kill. And 
I think he did because you're saying about globetrotting everywhere. I think didn't he do that one that was set in London as well, like um, Killers Romance. Killers Romance. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So just he just was all over the shop that the, the man was. So um, he definitely was kind of you know seeing what was what was kind of out there for him in terms of his image and, and roles he could play. But as you say, probably most of the time just kind of making sure there was food on the table for for him and his family. So um, you got to do what you got to do. So his his filmography is you know it's ridiculous. You think you could you think you could probably set out a life goal to watch every single Simon Young film, Ken? Is that is actually is that one of your life goals? Subconsciously, uh, Subconsciously. It is because because I encounter so many of them. <laughs> so. He's just showing up in everything. He just come, he just shows just kind of wave in a film that's completely unrelated to. You know, anything like any kind of gigolo, uh, you know, situation, just, you know, slasher film. He's just kind of, he just pops up as sex with a lady and just goes. It's just sign of the times, that was. And he was never really not watchable. That's the thing. Even though there are performances that vary in quality, there was never anything where you went like, oh, no, Simon. It was more like, go, man, like energy, energy, man. You got, you, you're not saying, like that movie, Don't Stop My Crazy Love For You, it's about him stalking a TV reporter and he builds like mannequins and shit and dances with mannequins and think they're alive and he obviously wants a relationship with the reporter he's stalking and that's Simon, yeah, I'm not backing away from that role either and surprisingly, it's not too much. It just is widely watchable. Somewhat scary, but mostly widely just entertaining and watchable. Seeing him dance around with the mannequins and no care in the world, man. It's work. Man, he's just, yeah, he just dives in. I think, what was the uh, what was the Young and Dangerous film that he was in? He was in a couple, wasn't he, I think? I've seen the first three, but I don't know if he was in the first. I know maybe from the second one and onwards, he played a, a, a higher level boss of some kind. Mm. Yeah, so he did everything. He did the Wu Show, he did Once Upon a Time, A Hero in China, he did... Naked Killer, obviously, just, 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 you know, incredible kind of um, credible filmography, especially at that point in the nineties. He was, he was just an unstoppable machine. I mean, speaking of uh, Naked Killer, it's really where some of the Western attention comes from as well, uh, because you know, Category Three movies, it, it's a very unique Hong Kong thing, but some thing, but some movies uh, was brought out to the West, and uh, Clarence Fox. Naked Killer was one of them, uh, where he plays this uh, impotent uh, cop in uh, Clarence Fox, like wildly stylish uh, Naked Killer, because it's um, it may be produced and written by Wong Jing, but that style, that's Clarence, that's Clarence uh, all yeah. out, man. Um, and I mean, the 90s could be summed up in that word, as I said, uh, work, and clearly, clearly a working actor, but also he wanted to challenge himself, and he was also securing his cinematic image, uh, but... Yeah. The latter half of the 90s uh, became symbolic of a Hong Kong cinema in crisis where piracy was threatening to take a toll on the industry where the industry was close to packing it in as certain directors uh, had stated. But Yam kept working as part of the Young and Dangerous series as you said Tom. Yeah. He logged a fine performance as a triad with memory loss who regresses to a childlike state in the scarred memory where he starred with uh, Veronica Yip shot in Sing Sound as well, very good movie uh, but he was also part of the Milky Way image uh, team uh, that uh, Johnny Toe headed with appearances in Expect the Unexpected The Mission and later his award winning turn in Johnny Toe's PTU in 2003 and that was one of the first uh, really, really big accolades if you will. And uh, further Western attention, he got a role, I think it's a minor role, in Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life, which was the second one with uh, Angelina Jolie, I believe. Um, yes. They have a fight scene. I think I've seen that fight scene, to be honest, but uh, I've not yeah. seen the rest of the movie. Uh, and I have a feeling he's not present through and through. Or what do you know about that? 
<laughs> well, I, I cannot remember. I remember the first one quite well, but I cannot remember a thing about the second one, unfortunately. I think it was one of those that was on TV one day, and I watched it uh, probably hungover on a Sunday and took absolutely nothing from it. So <laughs> there's that. Uh, fortunately, yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm sure Simon was great while he was on screen, but nothing particularly memorable that I can uh, remember from that one, man. Well, well, let us know, listeners, if uh, Simon was in it uh, a lot or just for one or two scenes, including the fighting. Uh, but the accolades finally started to pour in around the turn of the millennium for Simon Yam, and uh, we had nominations for performances such as in Wilson Yip's Juliet in Love, he's in the punishing Jacob Chung movie Midnight Fly, he was nominated for Johnny Toe's Election, Sparrow, he played a, an abusive and scary husband in Anne Hoy's Night and Fog, but he was eventually recognized as best actor in Hong Kong for his performance in Alex Law's Echoes of the Rainbow, which is a movie I haven't seen, but, uh, you know, it's out there, and I like Alex Law and that team of Alex Law and Mabel Chung. Uh, In this case, uh, Alex Law directed, and uh, Mabel was working for a producer script and uh, stuff like that. They do tandem work, those two. Sometimes Alex directs, uh, mostly Mabel directs. I definitely want to see it at some point as well, because I do like going to the films that... um you know, favorite actors of mine or, or notable actors kind of, uh, you know, Funka cinema or any cinema in general ones that I'm interested in, like what was the role that they eventually got awarded for after, after grinding, you know, for so long. Cause sometimes it doesn't quite add up, you know, it might be thinking that, okay, we've got to, he's done so well for so many years. We've got to give it him for this one, you know, and, and, or, or sometimes it's just kind of random in terms of what, what films they pick to award someone with, okay, what well, is the film that good? Or is it just because, as I say, like he's just been going around for so long, but I'm I'm glad he's got it either way. It doesn't matter if the film's shit or not. <laughs> I'm glad he's got it anyway because he deserves an award for for the work he put in. Yeah, like a collected work award almost. Definitely, uh, yeah. Definitely. Even though it's not lifetime achievement because he's not done yet, obviously. Uh, so um... oh, he's still going. He's still going through. Man, he was the only thing about. SBL two that kept me going through that piece of shit as well. Really? <laughs> as well, as well. <laughs> And the funny thing is, I, I'm not going to spoil SPL 1, but he plays a different character in SPL 2, yes, which, yes, which is the charming Hong Kong thing again. Like, uh, I was in the movie, I can't logically be in the second movie, but I'm here anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> he gets up out of his grave and <laughs> walks to where the film is. No, it's just it's like I alluded to initially, I just I think that um, the mainland influence on Hong Kong cinema is quite dis- disruptive and you know a bit toxic and it just makes every film look and feel the same and it's just it's weird i, I didn't i didn't dig it it should have been a dream film for me with the cast but uh no so i'll probably take my sweet ass time getting to the third one. Oh, there's a third one i didn't even know that there is man there is yeah and i think uh again i think tony jar is coming back but as a different character as well so uh <laughs> he's like ensnared in the hong kong cinema charm like even if you potentially die we're gonna bring you back does that make sense is hong kong cinema or hong kong mainland cinema that's what we do look at what we did with simon yam fair fair fair, point. fair in love <laughs> and war and anyway, in recent years, Simon Yam has uh, also ventured into producing a movie called Ocean Flame, which I believe is a category-free movie, a, a drama about with some possible art touches, which is probably why I didn't venture into it. Uh, but uh, he directed one episode out of the Tales from a Dark movie in 2013 alongside acclaimed filmmakers Fruit Chan and Lee Chi Nai. So it, that, that brings us to uh, the closure, so to say, of the 
of the movie part uh, for now, but he's also noted for his off-screen work and passions, and as his own website says, and uh, why wouldn't it say this? Uh, some more uh, superficial recognition have been thrown his way, having been voted uh, as best-dressed, sexiest man uh, in Hong Kong. He's been on those kind of lists, and even the website says, like, these are superficial recognitions, but he has been voted best-dressed and sexiest course man. Of course he has, of course he has. And things to, to, to know about is his English is quite good, isn't it? as well so yeah um he's one of the he's one of the actors in hong kong that gets a lot of lot like the uh the western roles same with um tony lung and uh well tony lung chua that chua that is um you know if your english is quite good you kind of tend to uh, get a few of the for the western roles but he's always made you know his bread and butter is kind of based in hong kong cinema so and his bread and butter is also um you know he likes uh to appear well you know he likes to be handsome he enjoys fashion Yes, he, he's slick and he enjoys fashion personally. So this is not uh, some stylist forcing this onto Simon anyway. He has even helped to design golfing clothes because he is an avid golfer. And he's also an accomplished photographer with several exhibitions and photo books under his belt, including one that was done for charity. Uh, it was a coffee book called Simon Says that featured candid naked photos of the star. I did not know this, and both of those elements are f- fantastic. <laughs> I mean, the name and the contents, it doesn't get any fucking better than that. I'm on I'm on eBay now. I hope it's available still. I, I, I hope it's not uh, an overpriced uh, thing, because um, you, you'd want to get it for a fair price. That also maybe won't go to the charity anymore, because this is a while back. But uh, we're both secure in our sexualities uh, that uh, we, we can say proudly that we should own. Simon says. Speak for yourself. <laughs> You're al- already on record saying that you should have this book, so it's too late now. I can, I'm getting, um, Simon says, um, no, Simon says, reading is fun. Simon says, gold. The secret case book of Simon Feximal. Well, after that little personal uh, moment, uh, let's uh, move on to the actual movie for this episode, Full Contact. And as for my short opinion of it, it's Ringo Lamb being punk rock and metal. Saying, screw you to realism and all this social shit. I'm done with that. Now I'm going to have violent <laughs> fun with bad characters. And it is a rather delightful, giddy turn of events that is present in Full Contact. Such good, violent fun. I am still... I think it's fun. I think it's, as you say, you know, it's punk rock. It's kind of cartoonish, but... I'm still not a fully fledged member of the cult of fun contact. Fun, fun contact. Actually, with the title uh, of the cult of fun contact, uh, I feel the kind of same way now that I did when I first saw it. Is that it doesn't blow me away? Like I, I kind of want it to. Like I really want it to. Like I, I, I kind of every few years I kind of sit down and watch it. And I saw it on video, and then you know saw it on DVD, and it's kind of like every few years I do return to it and kind of you know hope that I, I love it. It's one of those films that I really want to love, but unfortunately don't. You know, uh, which is, on which is my okay. previous viewings, okay. yeah, it's not because uh, it's not at all because I just I feel so so much anxiety about everyone else no. enjoying it that no. I just you know I feel like I'm not a true Hong Kong cinema fan. I got to hand in no, my stop uh, it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> That, it's all it's all good, man. Every every voice and every opinion counts as long as you don't, uh, uh, you know, dismiss someone else's opinion. It's all good, man. I, mean, I didn't like the adventures. You thought it was rather rather surprise. I don't like the undeclared war. You think that's a rather fantastic time, and that's all cool, man. I love it, man. I love it. The, the different voices on Ringo Lam. 
definitely agree. And what I do love about about this about this film is the uh, you know is the fandom, and you know it's kind of like like the memes that are created from it, like because it's one of those films that it's just got it's got those kind of moments, those comedic kind of just outrageous kind of silly moments, especially with you know with a lot of subtitles and a lot of lines and stuff. That um you know I kind of I appreciate the kind of fandom and the people that love it. I think it's really cool. But let me ask you this though: um, Do you, if you look, because it's our mission here really to look at the Ring around filmography, see yeah. what works, what is curious, what is part of the actual development, uh, w- what are the crucial steps, uh, the crucial uh, choices to aid development. Do you think in, you know, we, we can pepper the conversation with this, but do, do you think in short this aided the development of Ring Lamb, or is it like a parenthesis on, on, the, uh, on the old filmography? It's, um, it's an important part of his, of his filmography, for sure. I think in terms of like, commercially commercially is probably the wrong wrong word but in terms of the films that have light shit on them i think post this he kind of maybe stumbles for a, for a couple it's like it's there's no real like it's not like a one-two punch with the kind of the film after it's like this film comes uh after as you say as a period of him kind of being part quite political and quite angry and makes something that's you know a bit a bit kind of silly and a bit goofy but you know still violent and it's like it, it's like it, it doesn't really deliver with a follow-up film because, as you say, you got Burning Paradise after that, and then the Adventurous, as we discussed. And then it wasn't until you know, kind of full of the arguably that he got back on track um, in terms of with the Ringo that you know we know. So yeah, I mean, in terms of this film, it, it's kind of a I think it's a bookend on the first stage of his career. I didn't even write that down. That's just kind of come to me, my mind there. I wonder, I wonder if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, looking at his filmography, it's kind of you got his early films that we've covered. Is kind of ones where he's finding his voice, and then you know from arguably I should go places for, but more with Sit on Fire, you kind of get his um, his voice kind of fully there in the frame to the surface uh, about what he wants to say and his kind of you know his mo really in terms of what he delivers in, in terms of cinema what he puts on the screen and then yeah from there on to here and then that's, that's kind of the first well the second chapter the end of the second chapter there well, well there are certainly new types of absolutely does and, and there certainly are new types of movies going into the 90s including for me this one burning paradise was a uh, part of you know uh, the wuxia style of yeah, uh, yeah. filmmaking and we'll, we'll certainly look at burning paradise and I, I think it's a curious switch and a welcome one for me because i like this movie as a filmmaker you can't stand idle and re- retread the same steps all over all over again i mean there's a new decade he's been shooting his mouth off a little bit and been deemed <laughs> difficult and ousted a little bit uh, some people had to sort of uh, stand proudly by him and say you can trust him to deliver mm. including giant fat um yeah, yeah but but also even without that uh, a filmmaker must change a little bit and uh, different things appeal to you during different times and it seems like action and violence appeal to him cinematically and uh, but he wasn't looking at john necessarily it, it has gunplay and violence and blood and all of that but it it has a different vibe here it doesn't open up for me a new voice because I, I I don't think this voice appeared again. This uh, punk rock <laughs> sort yeah, of voice. Yeah, it's definitely unique. Yeah, it takes things from his previous films and kind of puts a new spin on this kind of punk rock, kind of cartoonish, kind of over the top vibe. Definitely. I, I mean, it's hyper stylized, which I I, I really yeah. personally love. They're including in visuals and the choice. Not just detriment, ha- no, in terms of the editing or anything like. In terms of the visuals, I think it's not like it's kind of. Uh, 
you know, as tears go by, or you know, some of the kind of the one car wise, some of the editing that came in with the with with the 90s. I don't think it, there's nothing like that. I mean, Ringo doesn't dabble in in art house. It's just kind of stylish. So it's like a comic book. It's like a comic yes, book. Yes, exactly. That, it's it's exactly what I'm thinking of when I'm saying hyper stylization and and even you know the choices to make all characters bad and uh, let let this be a battleground between anti characters that doesn't say anything, which uh, which you know you don't have to focus on this as much as a Ringo Lamb movie. Because he isn't saying anything. It's all gonna. He's gonna try light up the screen with all of these choices combined and using the movie stars. Because I like it. I think there is an intelligence behind how this is delivered. Um, because it's so risky to have everyone across the board be super bad. Chime fat is he just wants revenge. He's not really good. But yeah. if you're gonna single out the hero, there's like a little bit of hero- heroism there. He saved a dog, so I guess, <laughs> and a yeah. kid. So I guess that makes him a hero, but uh, we we don't he, he, morals and ethics, not really. <laughs> no. no, it's kind of a, it's not it's not it's not clear kind of good guy bad guy here. And you know, Chow's done those roles in the past, you know, um, exceptionally well, where he's kind of on the border a bit in terms of a good guy a bad guy. You know, is he doing the right thing? Is he not, etc. But I think here it's kind of amped up. Well, it's kind of lenient towards the one direction that yeah, he's kind of a bad guy, but he's got those kind of good things in him there's little things but really it's about revenge it doesn't really matter whether he's a good guy or a bad guy whether he likes dogs or not it's the fact that he wants he wants revenge but let's talk of the second coolest lighting your cigarette shot in hong kong cinema history after chai fat lighting his cigarette with the dollar <laughs> you're talking about him doing doing the stan laurel um <laughs> simon yeah i'm doing the stan laurel when his first thumb just sets on fire is that yes, what exactly. talking about? in the beginning yeah, there you know, it's an intro for Simon where we we are looking at this cool, suave, stylish, uh, almost... Uh, he moves mechanically, I notice. It's almost like... And he, but he moves with purpose. It's not this... He, like, uh, sways. Yeah, like, yeah. sways. He's the, he's the David Copperfield of the flamboyantly gay criminal underworld. You know, he's got he's got stars, he's got grace, and he's got magic tricks. But he's also, he's also not this uh, giddy, broad, comedic... Uh, homosexual character no, and no, hong no. kong cinema usually slotted any homosexual portrayal into that right and this yeah. one takes a different turn because you think that knowing hong kong cinema kind of unfortunately that oh he's gay so it's oh my god he stabbed that woman <laughs> <laughs> you know so all of okay everything's <laughs> off the table now we go on a different route we're totally making the villain you know never mind his sexuality we're making the villain dangerous and ruthless he just stabbed a woman I mean, it's a good introduction. I mean, it's kind of a solid instruction to kind of what these people are and, you know, what they're doing, Simon and his, and his, and his team, um, you know, what, what these kind of guys can, can do as well. So I think it sets up that danger quite well or that, that kind of um, that feeling that anything could happen and they could just, because they, they just take lives, they just don't care. Exactly. And it has, I love Bonnie Fu's character, which is a very sexual um sexually charged woman let's just oh, say i just i find it just annoying in the film and i always have like i just really find the scenes where where it's like i just want i just want shit to happen it's like the stuff with with the initial robbery it's like i just want to get on with it like stop messing around like because those are valid points man but i i like the fact that this movie has no rules in terms of she's clearly a liability she has no control over her sexuality yeah. so yeah. planning a heist that includes her and her rampant sexuality should be a no-go but in this movie 
yeah, that's a va- valid part of our crew. That will work. <laughs> yeah, it's like it makes sense in this world yes. that they inhabit. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely know what you mean. Yeah. But she is a bit hard to take, arguably, but uh, one can't argue that she's off. She is clearly on. Oh, no, she's definitely giving it 100%. Like, you got, if you're going to do that kind of role, you have to commit to it. You know, you can't, you know, half heartedly do it. And I think, speaking of half heartedly, I think Chow Young Fat for me in this kind of brings that it's it's hard i just don't think i don't know whether it's just because it's a different role for him but i just don't think i wouldn't say he's like asleep during it but i just don't know whether it's just the material or or what it is but i just don't think he's given anything really interesting to do like he kind of he does his thing he goes from a to z throughout the film and um you know gets on with the plot and kind of does you know the character's kind of actions and he goes he kind of flows through it but in terms of just giving him anything interesting to say or kind of do or any kind of character character twerks twerks probably the wrong word character kind of challenging fact twerking. Like twer- twer- twerking in the middle of the it makes club. sense like, in this world have a look at this um, so, so i mean yams like eyes like you know just kind of Brightening up, widening up. Is he coming on to me? He's twerking over there. Is, is he, he coming, he coming on, to on to me? I mean, he does have his ass out in the middle of a, a, a club. I'm thinking that might, you know, he might be on on here. But I think I know what you're coming from, though, because uh, a, it's not a role with substance. It has very basic beats, and it also is so again part of that anti-character crew that the entire movie has that yeah. it, it's it's very it actually is quite different and the reason why it's watchable for me while not a classic performance i like the movie but it's not a classic performance is the fact that giant fat is cool and he has charisma and he has presence but arguably it is a different role and it's so we've seen him play a triad before obviously but there's there, it's so stripped of any heroism within using the codes of that world right all of that is out the window in full contact it's just kill 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 and any romantic nature of uh you know literal romantic nature and any romantic nature of this type of um, gangster character that's all thrown out the window ringo isn't interested at all in the romanticism of a john woo movie which is which is a difficult choice i think I, i think i know exactly where you're coming from that you might feel a little bit i don't know about this i mean he's yeah. yeah, it's a little bit like he's cool and boy is he handsome and he uh, he looks great, but it's it's a little bit uh, different here. Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's it's one of those times where I think the imagery of the film is maybe it's stronger than the actual kind of contents of the film and and the way the ingredients and the way it all kind of put you know gets together and is put together. I think the kind of visually, it's, you know, it's fantastic. Um, I don't think it's Ringo's fault because I think you know in terms of maybe fleshing out the character because I think his goal here is just to create this world of you know cartoons really these cartoonish kind of characters and that doesn't really need to be a backstory or it doesn't really need anything interesting to do because the actual setup itself is is interesting enough sure um in terms of you know the kind of the action and the plot and what's going on that maybe you know the characters don't really need to be fleshed out but that's the one thing that always sticks out for me i think the movie pops for me because of the insistence on it being so violent, uh, it, 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 because it, because it's so—I uh, don't want to say MTV—but it's made in a very, very uh, popping uh, way, orally and visually. I mean, you, T- Teddy Robbins' score is very guitar-based. It's got these moody guitar riffs in uh, scenes, you know, 
Yeah, there's, there's like there's like a, there's like a Hotel California rip off about halfway through, which I found <laughs> funny. Like I thought it was it, and I was like, is that is it like like the extended version? Like is it a twelve inch something I don't know about? Because it sounds like it, but it, it's kind of it's a bit dissonant. Like it doesn't, it doesn't quite sound sound the same. It's a bit odd. But that was that was that was good. I, I, it adds to the kind of the the score, which I say is that kind of rock, kind of metal. But it's more about um, uh, it's more like a lone guitarist riff thing rather than a full orchestral yeah. score, which I think is rather cool. And I think uh, I think Teddy as a guitarist isn't he? So presumably Teddy played or composed uh, the guitar stuff. But I think he's a guitarist. I've seen him play in mm-hmm. um, in movies and on on YouTube clips and stuff. So yeah. yeah. And Teddy, of course, was in Twin Dragons. You know, uh, Jackie's body in that one. So we know uh, Teddy can be a fun actor. You can, 100%, yeah, to do both. Like a lot of people in Hong Kong cinema can, many strings to the bow. Mm-hmm. Makes you just want to give up as a human being. Like, you just can't do anything. I need to stop watching Hong Kong cinema. Okay. <laughs> full, full contact broke, yeah. Yeah. Tom K. Yeah, bro, me. everyone's so talented and can do so many things. It's just like, geez, what, what am I doing in my life? Fuck. You know one thing that uh, that is talked of when discussing either old Chang Chia movies and even John Woo movies is the perceived homoeroticism in movies, right? And I, I don't know if anyone was consciously trying to turn that on its head. Mm, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. But but this movie takes perceived homoeroticism and lets uh, and let matters be about actual homosexuality. Simon Yam is totes into Jeff's character, Chaifat's character. Oh, and, and he makes no he makes no secret about that. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's sort of playful because in one scene, I think it's uh, the scene where Jeff comes into, um, they're in the gym watching boxing, possibly, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or, 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 um, or kickboxing boxing or fighting. They're in a boxing gym when they first meet, you mean. Yeah, and, and they sort of use silence and uh, they size each other up with, and there's even like Sergio Leone-style eye play, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, 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 and that's super playful to me. That's yeah. nothing to take serious at all. While I talk of it, like this is a statement, I don't think it is necessarily, but it's a change up from the Hong Kong cinema perceived homoeroticism that gets critics talking and sometimes it isn't there. Sometimes there's an argument that some of it is there. Here it's just that uh, I think even Simon Yang's character says flat out at some point how much he wants Chai Fat's Jeff character, which okay. Front Street Man, <laughs> why not? <laughs> I've never thought about that, but you might be right there in terms of it might be um on purpose trying to kind of flip that you know, flip that kind of uh, that viable, that that kind of critical point that that people do speak about. That that you know, yeah, as you say, Chang Che, and then onto John Wu in terms of that kind of brother brotherhood and that kind of you know code of loyalty and and the kind of the relationship between men that that you know a lot of directors have explored, but you know particularly them in terms of Hong Kong cinema and maybe it was kind of Ringo subverting that. That's that's, that's an interesting point, Kenny. That is. And seeing as the movie is a that series and thematically about anything. I'm just saying that might be there, but who knows if Ringo or his brother Nam Yin even attempted for to do anything other yeah. than to have a little bit of fun, because shit, even Simon Yang's character eats uh, two sausages in a suggestive manner, sitting in a car in one scene. <laughs> just because. <laughs> he said, I think he's a bit, when he says, uh, I love you, Jeff, on the radio to me, he's like, what? <laughs> so what? What? <laughs> What's that? What's that? I didn't hear that bit. <laughs> that was that was a disturbance on on the radio there what's going on breaker breaker but but you know when it comes down to it do you think Sam and Yam being so flamboyant slash dangerous is 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 it like 
too much and leaning towards broad in the old cliched Hong Kong cinema way of portraying homosexuality? Or what do you think? Uh, is there is there a different vibe here that's more entertaining to watch? Considering, I think at least we don't get any age jokes or anything like that because you know how on the nose. You know, even later, even even after this film, there was films that were kind of. You know, in terms of we're talking about gay people and relationships, to be like age jokes and stuff like that, and it's always like a bit too, you know, it's quite cringy. But I th- yeah, I think here it, it's you know, it's kind of just it's it's played. I don't know, it's cartoonish, it's flamboyant, but it's quite serious. It just seems like you know a gay guy and and obviously a flamboyant gay guy. But it's yeah, it's never it's never like too on the nose in terms of uh, the image and the kind of the image that he's putting it out there. So I think it's... And they're only doing the uh, cackling villainous thing like once in the movie. Like, so he's not a laughing joker type of character either. No, I think it's quite serious. And, and if anything, if anything, the kind of like the laughing, laughing and joking kind of thing is just the kind of the, the villain, kind of the, the character, you know, character of, of a villain, the kind of the laughing and, and the joking and the kind of manic, you know, energy of a villain. It's got nothing to do with, with the character's sexuality. So I think it's, it's, and to be honest, it's probably the perfect Simon role because, again, he's like really fashionable. He's got, he's got, uh, Nick Cage's jacket from, um, what's it called? David Lynch film. Uh, Wild, Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart. He's, you know, he's, he's robbed <laughs> Nick Cage's jacket from that. Um, or did Nick Cage rob it from him? I think Nick Cage robbed it from him. May, um, maybe so, but, uh, Sam Yam also looks impeccably, impeccably oiled up. Like just a perfect, uh, perfect tint of uh, little, little glisten around it. He's got a perfect layer there. To be <laughs> honest, like it's like I don't know whether he's using cocoa butter or whether it's just it's just the kind of the sweat from the the humidity of uh, of Thailand um, kicking in. But yeah, he's looking good, mate. He's looking tanned. He looks like um, looks like a nice uh, like hash brown kind of thing do you know what i mean it's like it looks kind of tough on the middle quite brown but very soft and fluffy inside there it is <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just wondering did i just say that or did i and yes i did apparently but let's move on to uh, action because this movie has action and gunplay and uh, we've talked ringo's gritty realistic action versus someone like john woo who does it in a bigger balletic way and uh, that strays from reality by intent yeah. you know um so for this one i'm he's not entering john's world stylistically just because he has massive machine gun fire and things like that it it, it is rather straightforward gunplay and uh, only select pieces of choreography here like giant fat wipes out several people in one go on his motorbike i think uh, at, at least towards the end and there's big squibs here yeah and, but but the violence is you know, the movie for me is fun, but the violence still has a tint of ugly. Uh, innocence get in the way of uh, this violence and uh, to get the revenge brewing, you know, uh, we we add that aura of uh, that Simon Yam's judge will kill anyone and everyone if uh, need be, yeah. including uh, innocence getting in the way. The reason I don't have a lot of notes on the action is because it, it's kind of his death. I mean, the movie's stylized, but Ringo isn't going for this uh you know set pieces that require huge acrobatic feats by yeah. the characters these characters are out to kill each other and some some of that therefore equals straightforward gunplay with tints of stylization and um and violence and uh that isn't unwelcome because uh, the volume of it and the loudness of it is appealing to me even though it is uh 
basic in a way and straightforward in a way. Any thoughts on that violence and uh, bloodshed uh, of it all? Because uh, the movie doesn't really let up uh, whenever there's a violent encounter, there's um, uh, there's, uh, a healthy amount of bloodshed. Yeah, I I agree with a lot lot of what you said, mate. It's it's the kind of... um... You know, whether it be uh, tonally, the rest of the film is quite cartoonish. The action is quite, you know, grounded like a lot of Ringo's action is. It's kind of dirty and kind of, you know, in your face and kind of rolling around on the ground. And uh, and it's not, you know, it's not kind of clean action. It's cleanly shot and you can see everything, but it's always kind of characters scuffling and kind of throwing each other around without any real, you know, choreography or it looks like there's no real choreography, which, you know, same, same with this film. We do get some... You know, it's just a handful of kind of moments which are a bit more kind of choreographed, like, like obviously with the bullet time, um, with the bullet bullet cam. We'll we'll uh, we'll certainly get to that, uh, but uh, yes, it, it's a it's a memorable uh, thing from the movie. Uh, you know, if not memes, then gifs is uh, based on uh, <laughs> those scenes from Full Contact, those bullet cam scenes. But uh, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, a lot of I mean, a lot of it is, is obviously you know very you know very kind of Ringo, very violent, very. Um, I mean, just so- look at the opening, man, where they where, where Bonnie Fu uh, like pulls out these uh, this uh, machine gun or whatever, and just just shoots these uh, policemen just to shit and the big squibs, they, they their chest explodes, man. Some and- proper big beefy squibs, and there's some headshots as well, and there's 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 some really really good stuff, and it ne- and it never lets up, like it never lets up, it just builds and builds, and and there's. Again, it's a, it uses like the set and it uses kind of the the set to kind of do tumbles and hits, but it's always really kind of burst of action, kind of just powerful rather than you know kind of choreographed. It's it's not much of a, of a ballet. It's not much you know. It's not very stylized. It's just kind of down and dirty and just gritty and just boom boom. Sort of a settings sometimes represents the most over the top sections. For instance, when. Chai Fat bails out Anthony Wong at the beginning of the movie. You know, the, the rain is pouring down the, the gutters there in a, almost a stylized manner as well. So everything seems uh, uh, intended for atmosphere. Um, yeah. And, you know, another scene is set in this ice factory, and that's all meant to evoke atmosphere of the setting rather than now Chai Fat is going to slide down stair railings with two guns. No, he's not going there, but he's uh, using settings to add to the atmosphere and uh, I mean shit even Chime Fat and this is where I realized the movie is not taking itself seriously Chime Fat uh, meets Anthony Wong in this tunnel and he arrives on his motorbike and uh, the lightning is uh, the lighting is uh, like time to coincide with uh, him riding the motorbike with the lights on his uh, but, but also it's uh, green or red and it's so perfectly lit that way that I realize he's, he sort of is making a music video here and having no care in the world in terms of how it looks and uh, what the rules are of this world. Uh, well, the only rule is to kill, kill, kill. Yeah, the only rule is to kill, yeah, kill, 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 and do it. You know, look as cool as possible. You know, when doing it. The uh, uh, a little minor note on the fact that I thought the the, the montage of uh, getting back into shape uh, after almost having died, you know, it's a it's a rocking montage. Because it's a rough it, one. It's a rough one. It's, it's a rough one because it goes too fast. It, it's over in a minute. Like he's back to strength in like two minutes. Uh, power of the dog. It was the power of the pug. It was just mm-hmm. you know. Well, he does chin ups for a little bit and bench presses, and he swims. So so he's competing for the Iron Man rather than uh, <laughs> wanting uh, revenge on uh, judge and he also receives a replacement finger that someone bought from the halloween store <laughs> okay i guess that works 
yeah, it's yeah. all like that's not gonna work yeah, you know it, it's, it's makeshift he does what he you know does what he can he hasn't got time to you know get surgery uh try and find his thumb he's gotta he's he's gotta get back on it man Oh, oh, by the way, I was totally wrong in terms of uh, the entrance in the tunnel on a motorbike. He, he's, you know, it's staged in that stylish lighting where it's the red backdrop in a blue lit tunnel and then Chiant that goes through on his bike with the lights on. So it's that preposterous. The, yeah, the lighting could never be like that in real life. Exactly. Kind of, but, it, is, it is in cinema. Yeah, it's very cinematic. The, the movie, I think, makes a conscious choice, even though I would have liked to see more care t- directed towards Anne Bridgewater's character of Mona. but. The movie makes a point that it could be controversial, but I guess it's just a choice that when revenge is at the forefront, women do not matter. Because, minus spoiler, Chiafat is not interested in going back to Anne Bridgewater's Mona, really. Yeah, Which yeah, is sort of yeah. a shitty thing. Like, come on, man, it's Anne Bridgewater. But it doesn't mean that it's dramatically sound and thematic and it's a strong, like, impactful revenge arc. Not at all. It's one of those things, that's a choice. I kind of don't agree with the choice, but the movie has made its peace with yeah. we're only in, these characters are bad and they see a straight line towards violence and in that straight line Mona is not in uh, you know in his sights yeah I think it's just plot wise that she doesn't fit in with the kind of the trajectory of where the characters are going in terms of you know meeting their demise meeting their kind of their, their natural end to kind of what's happened so she doesn't fit in with it, so instead of having her just knocking about, I think they probably did the wise move of kind of, you know, just focusing on 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 the main characters and the main story arc and just kind of tossing to the sideline a bit. Unfor- I'd say unfortunate. But yeah, a little bit because it, I, it makes know. it makes sense in terms of the plot. I think the the thing they do at least to close out her arc is to write the fact that she takes a stand essentially she gets tired of his crap and uh then uh, you know I'm he's not he's not he's not the best boyfriend is he really? <laughs> no not really not really <laughs> so so she's never like super damsel in distress and not super sexual object either because she at least makes that stand that you know i'm i'm out if if you're not in then then, then i'm out as well so see you like a lot of the women in ringo's films i think this is like a, a recurring you know, trend. It's kind of one of his, his things. Is that it, you know, most of his women characters are, are quite strong and quite able, and are always given you know something to do and always given a good story arc. They're not just kind of in the background. They're not just kind of pawns in in you know the game of chess played by the main characters. They're, they're they've got their own kind of story and their own part to play in the film. And it's and it's the same here. Yeah, instead of her just being the damsel in distress, she she kind of makes choices and does her own thing. What do you want to say, though, about the probably the most stylish element that is so not Ringo? <laughs> like, where did this come from? Uh, the uh, invention of the bullet cam, essentially, for, well, you know, fun, does it fit? Uh, how do you view it when seeing it so many years uh, later? It's one of those things that I think, I mean, I can't even, I can't even guess seeing it or guess or, or can't even kind of, put myself into those shoes of someone who was watching it when it first came out because I've seen The Matrix and I've seen, you know, other films before this, before I got to this kind of in my, you know, child, my kind of childhood watching of, of films and kind of my cinematic journey. So for me, it's like you kind of, you see it, but it doesn't blow you away because you've kind of seen similar things and you've, you've seen things that maybe take it to another level in terms of, you know, the bullet cam and the bullet time and you've seen not necessarily improvements, but you've seen kind of advances in technology, you know, on that. So it's a bit weird going back and looking at it. I don't know whether it fits in with the rest of the film, because like I said, it's one of those handful of 
handful of stylish moments in the film that were a bit different from the kind of down and dirty violence that Ringo does well. Um, but it's it's cool for what it is. But yeah, as I say, it's a bit of a meme. But it's <laughs> it's it's you know again, it's one of those things that visually, it's one of those things you can separate from the film and it looks amazing. But in the context of the film, again, because I just I just don't think the, the story's quite there for me or the kind of the you know for some reason it doesn't quite connect with me. It, it's kind of it leaves you a bit cold, but visually, you know, it's impeccable and it, and it looks impeccable still you know out of context from the film for me by that point and 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 that's a valid point absolutely but for me by that point i think i i was on board with the excess and i didn't mind this at all uh, because um um, you know the view of the bullet cam doesn't seem like a tricky effect at first because it's the camera pushing in on the actor and uh you know and and then reverse but uh, they do shoot some uh plates where they then superimpose the bullets, right? Uh, they, they, you know, essentially like an anime plate where everything is uh, sliding very fast in the background, um, which is, you know, a little bit um, more advanced coming from a Hong Kong movie. Certainly not yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, effects work that you uh, think of. Uh, you don't think of Ringo Lam and effects work and special effects plates and all of that. But, but, but I do like it because we get a great like fuck yeah because we get headshots. <laughs> that way you know in the bullet cam segment you know the the bullet cam goes and cam goes and boom headshot blood uh, I, I don't mind it at all I, I think it's good fun is it uh, the best stylistic statement of hong kong cinema ever uh no that'd be one car away wouldn't it ken uh, that's an opinion <laughs> and uh that's all fine <laughs> when you think of hong kong cinema you conjure up action in your head like i'm like oh my god chai and fat like blasting those guys away in a better tomorrow my yeah, god yeah. the bullet cam thing doesn't pop up as easily can we just like give a shout out to that one hair that hangs from uh simon yan's hairline as well just on his forehead i mean that's so this little clock can't uh it is a bit yeah it's very 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 clock can it's probably my, my favorite moment of the film and it happens a lot impeccable Impeccable, impeccable. I don't know how he does it. Then how he just keeps it there. It's fantastic. It's like a little sexy, sexy little thin piece of licorice, little wispy piece of licorice, just 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 waiting to get nibbled. You know, the Clark Kent thing is great, but I love that. You know, part part of the stylish traits of the character means that he has acquired the art of hiding and firing a gun as you flick your purple handkerchief, <laughs> which is just great. Right, this is fantastic. Yeah, little, yeah. I'll make a note of that because that was cool. Mate, as I say, he's got the magic tricks. You know, he knows how to keep people entertained. You know, and kick ass. If anything, he should have his own cabaret show in Vegas. That should be what he's what he's moonlighting at. Simon Yam in this film, yeah. rather than messing around. You know, trying to do robbies and that. You know, get himself a few lines. Get on stage. <laughs> you know, do it. Man. And as for my final note, I guess. Um, we won't spoil the finale, which is a kind of a it's it's a pyrotechnical and gunplay yeah. in nature. But I love the again the movie makes no it doesn't hide the fact that Judge is into Jeff because the phone call they have between each other <laughs> before the final it's so confrontation randy. such a randy phone call. Oh boy, is it ever! <laughs> <laughs> because one Simon Yam is touching himself before Chaya Fat calls before he's just re- he's ready like he's worked himself up for that phone call he's like you know I need to get myself prepped for this I need to get my sexy voice on you know it's like it's like when you when you you, know, you answer your phone or, you know when it's a friend you're like you're all right man but when you answer the phone when it's someone you don't know you're like hello Thomas Kim Williams speaking <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like that but Simon takes it to the next level by obviously you know, having a bit of a tug before he gets on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's certainly something they don't hide, Ivan. Yeah. 
which is uh you know why if you've established a character let, let's just go for it but 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 he's still sort of mild because he isn't mad at jeff because he likes jeff he's like hi <laughs> what are so you what up, up to <laughs> what up girl? what are you doing what are you up to oh i'm all right i'm just just hanging out i mean do you want to go and uh you know take shots at each other and blow some cars yeah right meet down the car park is it chai and fat that says wash your butt and wait for me <laughs> we're doing the same phone call I, th- I, th- I think it is yeah i think he kind of he's kind of making a bit of a sarcastic comment isn't yeah, he on, wash uh... your butt and wait for me like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Hong Kong cinema has not been this obvious before. Now it is. Now it is. So you know, for like screen caps, it's just a gold mine. It really is. Like just the visuals and the subtitles. It you know, it really is a gold mine. Gold mine. Gold mine. Well, he's gold minded, certainly. Judge, you know. Oh, gold. I see what he did there. Gold mine. Ken, the way the way just the way with words you have. I mm. mean. I just, I just, I don't want to speak anymore. Well, the eloquency of subtitles such as "masturbating hell" is uh, obviously to my liking. <laughs> Speaking of words, you know, and, and it's that kind of movie, man. I mean, I know we're not necessarily in agreement, but it's that kind of movie, and it goes for it all, up until the final frame. That that homosexual angle and that story thread is uh, going to play a part of the finale because that's what it's been building up to. Not romance because they're enemies, but he sees that through with Simon Yan's character that he is going to be uh, he is in two minds here he has an enemy that he likes <laughs> so, it's a duality uh, yeah mate it's, it's getting deep for a context you know, you know for, a, for, for a talk about full context we're talking about duality and you know but it's it, it's you can you know read that into it I think that's why you know it's it's a film that's retained it's kind of classic you know status among people and guys fan because there is a lot to talk about there in terms of the visuals and, and the action and I think we're probably similar views on the film but it's just for me it's just that film that you know it's that, that thing where you could talk about a film that, that you admire and you think it's got all these ingredients but for some reason it just when it cooks it's it's a bit inedible for you but for some people the you know same thing the ingredients are all there but it tastes good to them and i suppose that's that's kind of difference between yours and my view on this film but mm-hmm. there's a lot of films like that we've discussed i think something just works for you and something it doesn't and you know i think it's just at any given time something something works something doesn't so I think I can definitely take a step back and admire the film for all the the good that that it does have and all the kind of um, the fun that it does have. And this film is definitely it's definitely it's probably one of the most you know fun funnest funnest uh, pieces of Hong Kong cinema for for sure. And you know what's amazing also that I mean I've, I've gone on record saying you know talking about certain movies in Hong Kong cinema and their depiction of homosexuality is not to my liking because I'm I'm tired of uh, just a cheap lazy just act feminine and I'm so gay now because I'm feminine but here's a movie which doesn't offend me because it's because of the different tone it attempts and this didn't lead to in my if my memory is correct everybody riffing on full contact Um, so it's not thought out and the Perhaps someone would be offended by uh, the depiction of homosexuality here, but I think it because I'm not laughing at it. Obviously, I'm laughing with the choices that yeah, they, they yeah. they're making this villain being edgy and dangerous, and again having the desires that he does have. Because it's not like these uh, his killing desires towards Jeff comes later. It happens early you know obviously he tries to kill him and he blows up the house and he cackles like a maniac when he does so because he loves to kill jeff he wants to kill jeff (laughs) 
and he wants he wants him at the same time. But hey, killing goes first, so the hell with him. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I think you're um, you're right there, man. For, for sure, I think it's definitely um, I, you know it definitely tries something different. You know, I can definitely admire Ringo for trying something completely different and completely zany and kind of going against anything that would be considered kind of normal or cliche he completely flips it and just makes it over the top and kind of zany and you know crazy in parts i do have a few more notes and i probably would start with the one that i forgot but let's get to that at the end when i <laughs> when i remember it um obviously i didn't see the butterfly knife scene as i live in the uk so i don't know what the big hubbub about that is <laughs> yeah we we got some notes on sensor cuts uh, rational or not yes obviously um or maybe not obviously a lot of the plot is kind of based on richard stark's novel the hunter which has been used a lot in cinema most notably um point blank with lee marvin uh, john borman's film and obviously payback payback with mel is it like soup? Just a basic uh, frame framework of it, or framework of obviously teaming up for a heist and the one guy getting betrayed, uh, you know, left for dead, and then kind of going back for revenge and going back for kind of his money and what he's what he's kind of owed. So, yeah, that's you know that's that's the kind of the point that they take from the book, but it has been used kind of a lot of times. Uh, and I think my favourite Simon Yan outfit from the whole film, just to confirm. Uh, is when I think he's in on the boat and he's wearing like a black kind of really tight tank top with a cross on. It's like a crucifix um, and leather trousers, uh, and that's my favourite outfit that he wore in the film. Um, that's all my notes, apparently, apart from that one note that I forgot. But <laughs> maybe it'll come to. It'll be a bonus episode where I just speak for thirty seconds and. Uh, Was it? Out. <laughs> <laughs> it'll get to me again. Hold on, keep recording, keep recording. <laughs> Okay, and as for availability of full contact, it all, it's always been kind of messy on home video. Um, but it's it's been on on home video, but it's been sort of messy. Uh, reportedly, and I hope all of this is correct, but do correct me, listeners. If... Okay, I remember what I was going to say. Go for it. I remember what I was going to say. Yes. Um, this apparently, so from what I've read or what I've heard on commentary etc. throughout the years, this wasn't a big box office success. Was it? And I think it, it possibly got something to do with the kind of the, the tone of the film, or you know, Chain of Fat was playing a bit of a different character, etc. Um, I'm guessing maybe because what we were saying before about the end of the kind of second chapter, second chapter in Ringo's career, maybe that's why you know it wasn't possibly a big hit, and maybe you kind of wanted to make something that was a bit more commercial, and that kind of explains the next couple of movies. You know, Wusha obviously being massive at the time, and then you know, Adventures is a bit more kind of an all rounder kind of film rather than something specific i don't know what six close to 17 million hong kong dollars in 1992 if that's considered a flop but i don't know about that uh, medium hit uh, a medium di- hit a different giant fat movie from around 92 made maybe double that so it wasn't a failure but it wasn't obviously didn't perform as well as maybe you know previous no previous no films. no that would be fair because uh, if we're looking at flops then burning paradise i think believe, i believe that didn't um, break through um, uh, as such uh, you know, because you know, p- people were used to these uh, movies in the wake of Once Upon a Time in China being a certain way, and Burning Paradise didn't really go that way. Um, yeah, it's uh, even though Choi Hak was behind it as as producer, but uh, still, it it felt more Ringo than uh, you know, uh, cashing in on Once Upon a Time in China. Oh, of course, yeah, it's obviously definitely. You know, we'll, we'll probably get to speak about it, but it's definitely Ringo's voice, but him kind of trying out uh, a different genre, kind of more commercial genre. 
and I think also the lack of stars in that one, maybe uh, because uh, you know, you know, because he didn't have it yet, Lee necessarily, and uh, maybe people were tired of uh, the waifu or wuxia piano of the nineties. Possibly, by that point, yeah. We're talking about 94, yeah, maybe, yeah. I mean, it was coming to that point where it was maybe a bit oversaturated. But uh, we're starting to get to it. Um, so uh, to uh, resume availability uh, of Full Contact, uh, it reportedly, if this is correct, uh, then it played with the low rating of Category 2 or 2B in Hong Kong cinemas, which meant it had cuts. It was rated higher on video, and that meant reinstated violence. Um, uh, the, the, uh, the, the details of that, I'm, I'm not too sure if I've only seen uh, the, uh, the more violent version, if you will. Uh, it's been made available on Maya's remastered line of DVDs, but it looked rather poor still, uh, so apparently not a good print in Hong Kong. This did contain what is perceived to be the original soundtrack, which mixed tracks from the rock band Extreme and Teddy Robbins' score. Right. Yeah. Uh, they, they used the one, well, well, for the opening credits, it's uh, Get the Funk Out, which is um, used in all versions, but they might have peppered the score i'm talking of that mixes that with teddy robin with at least one extreme song somewhere in there but not a lot but on the other hand when columbia tristar released their version on dvd in the u.s it featured an alternate score with more extreme songs yeah. from that album pornography yeah uh, and less of teddy robin's score and uh, reportedly even the hong kong legends dvd had this soundtrack and debate went on at that time, and I guess it still goes on somewhere, which option is the real, more valid one. But I've always seen it, I've always seen it with the music selection that was on video before, meaning at least one extreme song and then Teddy Robbins' score being part of the atmosphere that I like. I've only seen it that yeah. way. There's also silence on um, on that other track with more extreme songs when on the regular track with Teddy Robbins score there's his or his guitar players you know riffing uh, you know using the electric guitar for ambience those sections sometimes are completely silence silent so so for that alternate track that has less of his score more of the extreme uh, songs from that album at least the usage of free uh, a friend of mine had a theory that this was a temp track that somehow got out. <laughs> I no, I agree, man. I agree. I think that the 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 newer one, the one with the more extreme, is probably yeah, like a temp a temp soundtrack, an original soundtrack, while maybe the the score was being finished because it it feels like that at points, like you said, there's kind of gaps and stuff that were filled in with the one that's kind of half and half or the one that's kind of one extreme song, two extreme songs, and then mostly it's got the um, the original score yeah. by Teddy Kwan. So, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I agree with that, man. I, don't, I mean, obviously we don't know, but it, it's open for debate, but I, I kind of get that feeling as well. Yeah, and, and it was the stretches of silence that sort of made me think that he's probably right, that they, this feels like a temp yeah. track, and for some reason it got saved and stored and got shipped to um, to Columbia TriStar and... Um, and uh, then the Hong Kong Legends one has it as well. I prefer the one that mixes Extreme and Teddy Robbins score because I just like Teddy Robbins score in general and I think it adds to the atmosphere, to be honest. Definitely. Those, uh, those hot licks on it, definitely. That bluesy kind of feel to it, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a vital element, key element of the, of the film. That's that kind of punk rock kind of feeling, that, you know, balls out, balls to the wall kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. 
I agree. Uh, the Maya DVD is not listed as in stock anymore, uh, but uh, the, there are affordable op- options of the US DVD if you if you still want to get it yeah. and make up your own mind in terms of if you think that soundtrack is good. Uh, the Amazon Marketplace has affordable options. It seems that the Hong Kong DVD, though, on maybe, uh, I think I saw it on both the UK or the US Amazon Marketplace, but the Hong Kong DVD was there and could be bought for cheap, so they haven't jacked that price yet. Same goes for the Hong Kong Legends DVD. Uh, if you go to the UK Amazon marketplace, that is. And uh, they, for that DVD, the BBFC waived the cuts that were there before. because, And I think that that was down to um, simply law that you can't show the usage of, uh, for instance, a butterfly knife in movies. And, and eventually that law got rid of. Or they just simply didn't allow it, law or not. Uh, because you know they uh, took out... Uh, you know, head claps, and they took out nunchucks from the Bruce Lee movies, but I don't know if that was necessarily law. That was may- maybe it was simply that you can't show techniques that can be imitated. But in the early 2000s, at the very least, that thinking was scrapped, and therefore full contact is now available um, fully uncut. Yes, I mean, just a brief, very, very brief history was that, yeah, a lot of it, some guy came in during the 90s, I can't remember his name, who enforced cuts to as you say a lot of the weapons nunchucks butterfly knives any kind of yeah techniques like that kind of fatal techniques uh, and it was basically just down to a spew of kind of crimes that went on in the 90s that were very kind of uh, highlighted in the press etc uh, like the jamie borger killings and um there's a few yeah that were kind of somehow supposed to be as as it was said in the press, influenced by violent films. Um, so yeah, that led to kind of a big, 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 big trimming of a lot of kind of the big films at that time. And no one was safe, and it was you know commercial fare like Cliffhanger and you know more kind of obscure stuff, you know at least to the general public like this um, that got a release uh, but was cut. So yeah, so they uh, that kind of cooled off, and I think it was when that guy went um, during the early two thousands when it kind of cooled off a bit and. Uh, we got all this stuff uncut finally over here. Yeah, and that included uh, the nunchucks for the Bruce Lee movies because that yep. was when Hong Kong Legends brought that DVD out in like 2000, 2001. That was uncut. So uh, the, cha- the changing of the guard, so to say, happened around um, around that time. Uh, that all meant that, by the way, that the full contact UK VHS from Made in Hong Kong, that was cut um, uh, You know, for a few seconds. You know, do, do you notice they they didn't like when the technique how to use a butterfly knife was shown, but maybe the stabbing itself was okay? Or what do you remember from that? I think it was just all all of the weapons, all kind of weapons that were a weapon was seen lying on a table or on a wall. It was fine, but obviously someone's touching it, they're using it, or they're showing you know the viewer how to possibly use it, and they they didn't like that all, and that was that was kind of gone. Right. Um, and that's why a lot of the kind of the action films from the 90s and and again yeah all the films with, with weapons got massively massively cut over here were kind of butchered by the bbfc and yeah unfortunately that was full contact was was part was was part of it so yeah it wasn't an uncut over here until the hkl release same as you know the bruce lee movies and a couple of other films like bizarrely like my lucky stars and that that, that had kind of imitable techniques like breaking into cars and stuff that was oh yeah that was uh you know that was that was cut out that was that was put back in i still i still think that might have been banned until the the last re-release that like wasn't the, the... in the uk dvd of my lucky stars so they still view that um that is, uh, someone could easily imitate that crime there you go yeah still got still sit through the cracks so yeah we're not completely saying over here just yet but we're getting there <laughs>
So uh, thanks for that. I, I didn't have the full um, full uh, context of uh, the world. Uh, so I'm not an expert, but that's my, uh, my 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 view of it. Like what I've kind of found out and what I've I've experienced being here. So uh, a bit off topic, but interesting on the list. I always think. But at any rate, we are done for this director series, and uh, we we haven't mapped out exactly the next two episodes, but it will include at some point uh, Burning Paradise in the next uh, one or two episodes, and uh, we're probably up and. Uh, running up towards uh, Ringo's first venture into Hollywood as well at this um, point with maximum risk, uh, but I haven't decided yet how to structure the coverage. So uh, sit tight and follow the developments and uh, we'll uh, be back to continue examining and uh, introducing ourselves to a couple of uh, films as well because I haven't seen all of them. Um, So, uh, and uh, it's going to be good fun. So it was good fun, but let's uh, finish this one off. uh, quite quickly, this has been the director series on Ringo Lam, the ongoing series on uh, the dark-faced god himself. And you can find uh, the backlog of episodes on him and other directors we've covered on podcastonfire.com along with all our other shows. There's some handy banners at the right side of the on, on the site where you can make your choice and all of that is available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio as well. And uh, there will be links to our social media uh, in the show post and also available at the top of our website, the uh, Facebook buttons and so forth. So uh, that's us, buddy. So thank you very much. And, uh, and it's always a healthy thing, I think, that uh, we sometimes discuss uh, with uh, these movies uh, when we have slightly different views or even uh, widely different views I always feel that's uh, an exercise in uh, you know it's not mudslinging uh, we're not after that you know you're you like uh, I'm right and you're wrong that kind of thing I'm I'm, I'm not into that and I'm never gonna be and uh, if I am into that then just uh, kill me <laughs> if I get into that then just uh, just uh, just come to my house and just bash my head just, in there. <laughs> just fucking do me in. yeah I mean well, I think I think I did I did jest about it before but I think it's always important to kind of stick to your guns and kind of you know have some balls about it with, with your opinions um, you know if you got them and you know as long as you speak kind of not eloquently but as long as you speak from the heart about why things don't connect or why things you know don't work for you or uh, you know why why you have problems with certain things i think that's always you know the best thing to do and always the realest thing to do rather than kind of you know go along with the pack just for the sake of fitting in you know i think i'd always be i'd rather be the odd one out kind of in honesty you know and i think it It makes my job as a moderator of the discussion quite a lot of fun because uh, it allows me to sort of tap into what's your view then like if we're not the same so you know you give me that as well in all seriousness uh, 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 because i'm interested i think it always generates kind of you know healthy conversation with it so uh yeah i think i think that's what that's what we always try to do here is give the people what they want not necessarily um but you know at least give you know honest views about about things because um you know we're not getting paid to do <laughs> <laughs> to do this we're not your paid to do this so uh, you know there's no reason for us to be corrupted by uh by kind of you know we're not getting free fucking dvds out of this so uh, <laughs> no not for vintage hong kong movies that are not in print anymore <laughs> so how would that be possible so i don't you know i don't see uh you know any way you can kind of be be kind of you know swayed from giving you your honest opinion but you know what i honestly think is uh we're gonna but we're going to sign off and then you and I are going to go on eBay and see if we can find an affordable copy of 
Simon says. The coffee table book with nudies with Simon. Is it, we're not going to share it. It's not going to be like the uh, the World Cup. Like Every person gets it for a week in their house. So I'll, <laughs> I'll get it. I'll get it on the uh, the coffee table. When I'm, at, when, I'm, when I'm entertained, obviously, I'll have it for that week. So people can come around, see my pick of, you know, see my book of Simon nude pics. And, and then when you've got entertainers, I'll, I'll whiz it all over, mate, for you. Sweet, sweet deal. I, I genuinely want to see if it's like a prize-jacked book by now, just because it was a charity <laughs> book then. So and maybe it's not printed anymore. So I'm sort of curious to see if, how insane prices might be. So let's sign off and do that, literally. So I've been Ken P and with me was Tom KW. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening, as always. Yeah, yeah, okay. I wonder if you can. I wonder if you can hear this or recognise this. I think this is. Uh, I've been. I was practicing this earlier, just just for you. Um, oh no! That no, sounds terrible. Can you? Can you? Can you Are trying to it? play get the funk out? Is that it? <laughs> oh, that was terrible. You're no Pat Badger. You know, you need to have the beat in. Does it sound like Get the Funk Out? It's like one of those like Final Countdown covers that's on YouTube, right? There was a massive hesitance. I just couldn't find a good tab. They're all terrible.